the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Now, this episode is another in the Slice of Advice series, where I ask one question to a bundle of my favourite educators and learn from their wisdom and experience. This time around, the question I posed was, what does the first lesson with your class look like? And I tell you what, the range of answers was incredible. Focusing on specific activities, establishing routines, setting the right tone, expectations, and much more besides. My hope is that this episode will be perfect for the start of the new year, but also be one that you can come back to anytime you inherit a new class, move school, or even take on a dreaded cover lesson. While some of the activities described are math specific, there is certainly enough cross-curricular gold in here to share with your non-maths colleagues. Now, just before we dive in, I wanted to mention something exciting that I've been working on over the summer. As many of you know, I'm the Director of Education at EDI, the parent company of my little baby, Diagnostic Questions. Now, a few years ago, we launched our free GCSE Maths Schemes of Work for all the big names, AQA, NXL and OCR, which thousands of students around the country use on a regular basis to identify misconceptions and hone their skills. Now, whilst these schemes were undoubtedly good, they were far from perfect. Many of you wrote to me to ask for more questions, more specific topic units, more flexibility to map your existing scheme of work to ours. Well, I tell you what, I am never one to deny the public. So over summer, I have worked with a team to deliver the brand new ED GCSE Maths Scheme of Work. It consists of over 100 topic units and over 2,000 questions, catering from all your needs at both foundation and higher tier. Moreover, each topic unit has a clone quiz, so once you set up your scheme of work, not only will your students receive a quiz at the end of each topic unit, allowing you to measure performance and identify any lingering misconceptions, but they'll also receive a clone quiz three weeks later, allowing you to measure retention and allowing your students to benefit from the wonders of the spacing effect. On top of this, you will benefit from automated marking and vastly improved teacher insight and feedback that will save you hours each week and allow you to do your job better. And all of this will not cost you or your school a single penny. So if you have tried the GCSE schemes of work before and not been that impressed, please give us another go. And if you are new to them, then please check them out. And you'll also find math schemes of work from years one right through to year 11. So head over to ed.co.uk, that's eedi.co.uk to find out more. Okay, I will deprive you no longer. What do more than 30 of my favourite people do in their first lesson with a class? Well, let's find out. I really hope you enjoy this one. And as ever, I will see you on the other side.
Hello, my name is Adam Boxer. I am a science teacher. You can find me on Twitter at AdamBoxer1, um, and I also blog at chemicalorthodoxy.wordpress. Um, I'm going to be a bit subversive here, um, because actually I don't think the discourse about first lessons is always incredibly helpful. The reason for that is because a lot of the time people talk about the routines and how important it is to start embedding the routines from the first lesson and maybe even practicing them and things like that. And and that's true, uh, but it can give the feeling that that stuff isn't important every lesson. Um, and wherever you choose to put the bar in terms of your behavior expectations and the routines and the habits that you're expecting from your class, you can't just do it for the first lesson, the second lesson, maybe the third lesson. It's got to be every single lesson without fail. Otherwise, that stuff, all of that good hard work will just fall apart. You've got to be investing in it the whole time otherwise it just doesn't work um so yeah it is important in the first lesson but i don't like the discourse of in the first lesson because that can throw shade on all your other lessons as it were um in when it does actually come to my first lesson because they do come around um i don't do much particularly different to what I would do in a normal lesson. So I have a seating plan, I ask the students to line up at the back in silence, I put them in their seats, I do it normally completely randomly. Sometimes if I know if it's going to be a difficult class then I might ask someone who knows them well or taught them last year and try and separate students out based on that. But basically I just put them in a seat randomly wherever it is. Um, I'll explain to them that the rules in my classroom are the same as everyone else's classroom, don't annoy me and we'll get on fine. Um, but I'm I do normally give a short 90 second spiel about the way that I teach. I tell them that I will be, that I prize, that I take my explanations really, um, I, I take care over them and I try really hard to make things as easy as possible for them to understand. And if at any point they don't understand, that means that I'm not really doing my job properly and they have to be asking. Um, I talk to them about the resources that I prepare for them. I tell them that I will put in work for them but I expect them to work hard in return and then from there I just jump straight into it I don't like to faff around so from about 10-15 minutes in we're already starting with the content because uh, that's really the important stuff um, I do you know, building a relationship with new class is always hard and it's not something some teachers find it really easy straightforward straight in bing bang bosh I find it a little bit tougher um, it takes me Takes a sort of, it takes a while to kind of warm up um, in terms of the class to me and me to the class. Uh, that's natural, it's normal. Um, something that I do like to do, it's not to break the ice, but it is, uh, uh, it's something that I do and kind of helps break down some barriers. Is I, I, uh, I explicitly try really hard to remember their names. So I'll have the seating plan in my hand, but I'll try... Uh, I'll ask a student, but I'll I'll point at them and I'll go, ah, oh, I can't remember, I can't remember, it's Daniel. And I'll go, no, sir, sorry. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry, I'll get there. Uh, it takes me a long time and I'm really sorry, but I will get there. And it normally actually leads to kind of a bit of lightness and levity and a feeling that we're all sort of human in the room without having to compromise on any kind of behaviour standards. So it means you get to smile before Christmas, um, but you also manage to keep the bar pretty high. That's it from me. Thanks very much. Bye. Hello. 
my name is Amir Arazu. I'm Vice Principal at Horizon Community College in Barnsley. Uh, I've been a maths teacher for nearly a decade and a half now, so I've had many first lessons. Um, learning from all of this and learning all the time, um, here's what I would say are the most important things about first lessons. And I've boiled them down to what I call the seven R's. So here it goes. Number one, read. Go to Harry Fletcher Wood's Improving Teaching website. Have a look at his first lesson checklist. It's fantastic. It tells you everything that he wants to set out in terms of first lesson. And he's probably much more articulate than I am. In fact, he is much more articulate than I am. So give that a read. Second, research. Find out the ability levels of your students and what they can actually do in terms of their understanding of your subject. Um, their attitude towards your subject. So, you know, not just how they're behaving in lessons, but what kind of level of interest you've got, because that should, uh, should direct a little bit about what you're going to do in your first lesson. Uh, additional needs is really important as well in terms of research. So uh, having a group of students like I do, where there's a significant number of SEN needs in there, it's really important that you find out those specific needs, and I mean specific needs, don't generalise, and use them in order to determine how you're going to conduct yourself in a lesson. It's really important. Um, and thirdly, routines. is The most important thing in your first lesson is to set out the routines that you want to take place in your lessons. So all the classic things, how students enter the classroom, how students leave the classroom, how students sit down, how students give out the books, all those sorts of things. Write them all down in terms of what you want and get the students to practice them. And they might roll their eyes and they might go, why are we doing this and et cetera, et cetera. But trust me, it is worth it. It's important that you get that right because these are the things that we'll be doing day in, day out in your classroom. So it's important to get these right. Um, fourthly, your content should be revision. So that's my fourth R is revision. Um, you shouldn't be covering anything that's unfamiliar to students because you know that puts you in a place where you're going to have to really set out from first principles what they need to know about the content whereas actually if it's something familiar um you should be able to connect with them much more quickly and don't expect to cover too much in terms of the actual content because your emphasis should be on the routines you want to establish the time to cover the content will come as, as a lesson progresses so don't worry too much about that uh, fifth thing, role play. Just practice what you want to do. Um, spend some time at home, in the car, in the way to work, in front of other teachers. You know, get, practice what you want to cover and get people to give you feedback on it. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, you know, from my time at Dixon's Trinity, that was the one thing that they did that was really, really important for I learned in terms of if there's something new that you wanted to do and you want to try it out, practice it first. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, sixth thing is relax okay so no one's going to die if your first lesson doesn't go well okay so that's the most important thing and um, you know this is really like a dress rehearsal for all future lessons and so you know try you know try to be calm try to be clear and try to be confident and if you can't be those things then act them okay because teaching to a certain degree is an act and there's nothing wrong with saying that i don't think and, and just be able to you know make a bit of a performance for it first of all and you will grow into that role as, as the lesson develop finally the seventh r is review so spend some time after the lesson just looking back seeing what went well why did it go well and what didn't go well and why didn't it go well kind of classic kind of learning points you would do for many kind of process in terms of you were studying something so that's really important that you spend some time reviewing that and then if it hasn't gone well like I say your first lesson is treat it as a rehearsal and if you need another rehearsal for your second lesson that's perfectly fine 
And what I want to say as well is it's really important that your personality comes through into your lesson. I would not be matey with students. You're not trying to be the best mate. And what that does is that doesn't really establish the boundaries that you want to set out in terms of how they respect you as a teacher. But then I wouldn't say be too strict and don't lecture them, okay? This whole don't smile before Christmas rubbish is exactly that, it's rubbish. What I would say is just be a bit more formal uh, in terms of your personality, like a, you know, like a more formal version of yourself. And I think that will you know, set a really good standard in terms of how you conduct yourself. Anybody who's having the first lesson with a new class, um, if it's your first lesson ever as a teacher, whatever your first lesson is going to be, I wish you the very best of luck and thank you for listening. Hello, I'm Andrew Jeffrey. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at AJ Magic Message, and I'm lucky enough to have been a teacher for 30 years. The last 10 of those I've been working uh, to support schools all around the world with the teaching of math. So I guess in a way for 10 years every class I've had has been a new one. Uh, but for 20 years I was lucky enough to teach primary and secondary and one of the things I've come to realise is that probably the number one issue in a, in a maths classroom is confidence. Now confidence squared when they've got a new teacher. So um, I guess I want to just share maybe three tips, uh, one for primary, one for secondary. So blessed to have taught in both primary and secondary um, and, uh, and one that works, I, I think, anywhere with that in mind. So um, for primary people, if you teach a primary class, it might work in secondary. But one of the things I say is I say I want you to be smart and I'm going to define smart people as the people who understand that it's OK not to understand straight away. I think that's so important. Um, it's it's fruitless to say, does everybody understand? Because the one that doesn't isn't going to speak up. So uh, just tell them that it's it's a, the smart thing to do is to say, I don't get it yet. Um, and obviously, yet is important. Um, secondary, guys, uh, you can use a little bit more kind of harsh, uh, not harsh, but tough psychology. So uh, you can say to them, look, uh, you want to do well. I want you to do well. So here's the deal. I'll work exactly as hard as you do on your behalf. That's quite a good one. Um, and uh, they, they'll kind of, they'll respect that. Um, but uh, maybe for the, the, my favourite tip of all is for both primary and secondary. And it, it's around this whole um, misunderstanding of what growth mindset is. I think some people have uh, taken this to, to sort of mean, hey, hey, we can all be high flyers. And, you know, maybe we can't, but we can all be what I call fly hires. So I guess I, I want to say to, to both primary and secondary students, right at the start of our time together, um, that everything is difficult, but only until you can do it, and, and then it's easy. The only person that you need to beat is yesterday's you. Uh, and that, I think, is a, a realistic goal for them and allows them to be whoever they want to be this year. Um, there you go, just two or three quick tips. Um, I hope they work for some of you. Cheers. Hello, I'm Andrew Percival and I'm Deputy Head of a Primary School in Oldham and on Twitter I'm Primary Percival. 
So first lessons, well, when I first started teaching and it was first lesson with my new class, I used to think it was a nice way to start the year with some sort of icebreaker activities. Now I'm not entirely sure why I thought this would be a good idea as there's nothing worse than having to do these sorts of things on training courses, but at that time it seemed like the right sort of thing to do, easy class in and get to know them. Now one of these icebreaker activities which I used a lot was called People Hunt. And this is where you had to complete a questionnaire of about 20 questions about yourself and you went off around the class to try and find someone who had the same answer to one of the questions as you. Questions were things like um, favourite flavour of crisps, favourite movie, what your dream job was, stuff like that. So needless to say, knowing everyone's favourite ice cream flavour didn't really help me to teach them any better. And basically you had five minutes of quiet working and then half an hour of low level chaos. Anyway. I now think you should probably just crack on with the learning in lesson one and that actually working with a class on relevant content is probably a more effective way to get the information you need that will help you to teach the class better. So I'd start teaching a small amount of content straight away and this would be something that would hopefully throw up some useful assessment information about the class. In maths, this would be something pretty basic, like addition, subtraction, place value. And I think you'd probably get more information from working with the class on something like this than you would through spending ages looking through assessment data from the previous year or old pupils' exercise books. And I think within a few lessons, you've got a pretty good understanding of the class. So I'd want to start with some content but at the same time begin to teach the class any routines that I want to become second nature. Uh, this would be like behaviour routines like handing out books, seating arrangements, what you do when you actually arrive at the class, how you're going to contribute to class discussions and so on. But then also I want to spend some time focusing on presentation and this is why lesson content has to be fairly straightforward because you're not going to cover a lot in this lesson. And the teachers at my school who get the best presentation explicitly teach this from day one. They absolutely go to town, spelling out in meticulous detail exactly what's expected. So in maths lessons, it might be practice at writing one digit per square in the maths books or how to set out a calculation, how you organize your page, stuff like that. And this really ensures pupils understand what's expected of them. And they're shown this stuff explicitly using the visualizer often. So there's no doubt how to set out the work. So to sum up, I would begin by teaching something basic that would throw up some useful assessment information, then use the context of that lesson to teach the behavior routines I expect, and then go to town on presentation. Okay, thanks for listening and I hope that's useful. My name's Andy Lutwich. Uh, I'm a secondary maths teacher of almost 20 years, and on Twitter I'm at Andy Lutwich. Um, good luck spelling that, by the way. Um, now, first lessons, often nervous affairs uh, for both students and me. I mean, we're meeting each other for the first time, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd do it my way. I, colleagues, uh, colleagues might disagree with me and think I'm doing it completely wrong, but it seems to work for me and the students, or maybe I've just got my head in the sand and it's terrible. But I, there you go. I'll leave that to you to decide. Um, now, they used to say on my PGCE, and I heavily emphasise, don't smile till Christmas, but 
I, I never really took that advice very seriously. Now, the reason being is that that's just not in my nature. Whilst friends of mine will think, will tell you I'm as grumpy as you like, um, actually in the classroom I'm not that grumpy. And if I wasn't allowed to smile till Christmas, that the, the students wouldn't be seeing me. So the best of advice, I, a best bit of advice I would give a new teacher is just be yourself. They've hired you as you, all right? Don't try and be someone you're not. Don't try and be the person you think the school wants, all right? Be yourself, okay? Any other way is a, is a disaster, in my opinion. Now, I want the classroom to be a place where students enjoy learning and want to develop their knowledge, and they'll only do that if they're comfortable. Now, that doesn't mean that I focus my lessons on fun, although success does tend to breed fun. If you're good at something, you tend to enjoy it, frankly. Um, and, uh, and so I do allow, when they turn up, students to um because i want uh, want them to feel comfortable i do allow them to choose their seat but with the caveat that if i feel they've chosen poorly then um then i will move them but uh there you go i so they get they get a choice but if their choice is a poor one then i move them and and that works from year seven to 13 i, I use the same policy all the time I, I do a seating plan from that and i ask them not to move for a couple of weeks anyway so i can learn the names i am terrible at learning names which is awful but i, I do try really hard every year but i'm just not very good at it unfortunately i don't know there must be brain training ways or something i can work on it but i just haven't got to grips with that yet now, as far as the activities uh, for the first lesson goes, we've got a Year 7 one in our department, which is the first time we did this last year. With a Year 7 one, we've got another Year 8 one, we've got a Year 9 one and a Year 10 one. Okay? And everyone does the same thing. Okay? Um, because, well, actually, there's two reasons. Colleagues, especially new colleagues, don't have to stress about, um, about uh, what they've got to teach because um, everyone does the same thing. And students can all access at least part of it. Okay, uh, they should have been taught everything on there. There's challenge bits in every section. There's ten sections, and um, and they should be able to access at least some of it. And those bits they can't. They get the opportunity to talk to new classmates and to me if they really want. Um, I am the expert in the room, and that's 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 very clear. But I, I you know, I I want them to to have a go at stuff. All right. Um, now that all stems from when I joined a school age about ten. First maths lesson back. Um, uh, there was a test and I hadn't done half the stuff in the test I burst into tears, couldn't do any of it and that was the first impression I gave my new teacher and my new classmates and I wouldn't want to wish that upon anyone else so it was an awful experience now actually it turned out I really like Mr Steele and the school, uh, brilliant but that first lesson, horrendous don't want to share that with anyone really uh, you know, that experience now, the activity itself, the welcome back activity, is uh, each one has 10 different sections. Like I say, it's t completely different, 10 different topics. And the answers come up with an anagram of a country that I apparently visited during the summer. And then the PowerPoint has a picture of me in said country in shirt and tie, obviously, thumbs up. Um, and it, it just offers a bit of humour and shows that we're human. You know, we're not some sort of automaton. Um, and, and hopefully it gets the students at ease because that's kind of the point. Now, we do go, I do go through routines about homework, you know, how often it will be set and expectations. Now, expectations is basically if you try your best um i can't really grumble you know uh, you know we can work with that um but ultimately we, we've got a maths lesson here so let's do some maths you know and, and the summer holidays is a period where you haven't done probably a lot of maths um 
And so let, let's consider this mathematical pre-season training, I suppose. Uh, you know, it's, that's what we're there for, to do some maths and to learn something. So that's what we're going to do. It tends to be along the lines of, you know, homework will be this, this often. And, you know, if you, as long as you try, I can't really grumble type thing. And, you know, they haven't done maths for a while. It's a maths lesson. Let's start doing maths lesson. Hello, everyone. This is Mr. Gordon. I'm an assistant head teacher. Um, in charge of a maths department in Blackpool and I am on Twitter as at MathsMrGordon. My first piece of advice for the first lesson back is to really get granular about your expectations um, and make them explicit to the children. So particularly key transition moments such as the start of the lesson, what do you expect them to do? How do you expect them to hand books out? Who is going to hand the books out? Uh, how long do you want that to take? Uh, what do you want people to do when they are sat listening to you giving an explanation? Uh, what do you want to do when they're doing pair work and group work? Um, are, they, are you going to let them go to the toilet at all or, or not and make that really uh, explicit? Um, when you are setting homework, what do you want that to look like? What standards um, do you want the books to look like? And really making sure that students are really, really clear on that. And once you've got that blueprint in place, what is really important at this time of year is to try and visualise um, a good lesson and what that would look like. Um, how, you know, try and visualise children behaving well, learning lots, contributing to the lesson, you feeling at ease in the classroom because a lot of teachers throughout the UK will be feeling very anxious about their f- first day back. We all do. We have those weird nightmares before... Um, we go back to school the night before. I think it's really important to try and visualise what what a good lesson looks like and try and make yourself feel better and and build your confidence before you go in for the day. And then the third thing is uh, try and identify who your key players are in in your classroom. Speak to other teachers who may have taught them before. Who are those key players that are going to tip the class to to being on side? Um, In the film Gladiator, the phrase win the crowd um, rings true for me Uh, and if you can win the crowd very early on um, then it makes your job a lot easier. Now uh, the way you can do that is um, I find parental contacts in the first few weeks really really key. Um, It's unrealistic to expect yourself to um, ring every single parent Um, so pick out those key players um, and if they're having a good lesson or doing something really well or going over and above, make a massive fuss of it and, and show the rest of the class that that you will um, follow through with your praise as well as your sanctions. And then use lots of positive reinforcement as well. So in your head, you've got these high expectations and these desired behaviours that you want to see. So keep picking them out publicly all the time um, and privately reprimand students who are um, carrying out low-level disruption. So make a list of... Um, all of the behaviours that you are going to praise publicly in the first few weeks and really, really drive that home and make a list of anticipated misbehaviours as well um, and how you are going to deal with that. If there's really, really um, tough behaviour to deal with, it's really handy to microscript what you are going to say to the students and, and try and anticipate what their responses will be. Um, 
and, and that will make the the conversation a little bit more automatic and mean that you're not just doing it on a whim. So that's my slice of advice for the year. I hope everyone has a really successful year and a great start. Uh, I'm looking forward to my new role at my new school and all the challenges that that's going to bring. It's the best job in the world, so embrace it and and be consistent. Have those high expectations and visualise success and, and what that what a good lesson is going to look like. Thanks, everyone. Hi, Craig. My name is Ben Rooney, and I am a maths teacher in Chelmsford. Um, and on Twitter, I am at Ben J. Rooney. I guess my single most important piece of advice is to make sure that classroom procedures are established right from the word go and students know and have had a chance to practice um, exactly what is expected of them. So on day one, the seating plan will already be on the screen when they come in. Um, but how students come into the class, where they sit, who gets the books, who gets the mini whiteboards, who collects books, who collects mini whiteboards. I'm going to go through all of that because I think if we want students to know what to do, uh, then they've had to have had a chance to practice it. So having allocated the tasks, um, everybody gets up, everyone gets out, they all go out of the classroom, uh, and then they're going to bring them in so they can practice doing it. And they're going to do that at least once, maybe twice. Um, The only exception to that will be years 10 and 11. It's kind of a bit patronising to do that for years 10 and 11. But also I had them last year, so they already uh, know what their procedures are. Um, I'm also going to show them how I want their books to be completed. I'm a huge fan of double margins for maths. So, you know, split the page into two. Um, Let's just write down one side and then they write down the other. Maths is a vertical subject, not a horizontal subject. I'm also going to go through what equipment they're expected to have with them and all that kind of thing. Because I think getting all of that sorted in the first lesson sets the tone for the whole year. Uh, With regard to names, um, over the summer, I've already tried to learn as many names as I possibly can um, using the hilarious Year 7 pictures from Sims. And I have a little flashcard app, cough, GDPR, cough. Um, But with luck, as long as they don't look too different from their Year 7 picture, and they always do, um, I kind of will know who everybody is already. And that sort of freaks students out. They're kind of like, how did you know my name? Um, that's kind of hard to do for year sevens as we don't have their pictures. So for them, uh, I have an A4 card, which is folded lengthwise uh, for their desk. So it's kind of like a tent and they write their name uh, on the outside, preferably the right way up. Um, and then inside, uh, there's a grid printed on the inside and they write a question um, in one of the boxes. Uh, and then I will write an answer to that. And we'll do that for the first four lessons. And it's kind of a nice way to have a dialogue with that student. Um, and I learn a little bit about them. They can learn a little bit about me. Uh, and I just think that's a nice way of finding more about your, you know, your year sevens. So that's my, uh, that's day one. Thanks very much. Hi, my name is Ben Sparks. I'm a mathematician and a I work for the Advanced Math Support Programme in the University of Bath and freelance doing student enrichment work and teacher training. On Twitter I am at SparksMaths. And for my first lesson with a class, 
I do want to try and do something which is going to be memorable. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to work like this. I'm aware of this, but um, it is useful to have a sort of benchmark. And there's so much you want to get across to a new class. Everyone has this sort of panic: How do I convey all the things I want to happen in my math classroom? And you can't do it in the first lesson, but you can set up some nice things. So I'm going to share two examples. One of which went uh, very wrong of my first lessons. First example I, sh I share is the silent function game. I'm not the only person that uses this. Uh, the idea being that I try and do a, sub a substantial part of the first lesson in complete silence and that I wouldn't speak at all. And it has quite an amazing effect. If you can if you can start the ball rolling in silence, they uh, they follow the lead. It has it's pretty daunting and it's kind of high stakes and doesn't work with every class. But for this example, maybe I'd get them all in somehow. It's hard to sort of set up the logistics of a new classroom in silence, but maybe you have to talk a bit and then then you go into silent mode and my interaction would be to write the number two on the board, say, and then an arrow, and then maybe uh, the number four. So two maps to four is a sort of function notation, although I wouldn't be discussing that with them. I'd then write three and an arrow, and I'd give the pen to a student and invite them to come to the board and write a number on the board that they think might fit. Uh, the first person to come up is usually very reluctant, and it is completely impossible to know what the correct answer will be, uh, which is kind of what I'm wanting to encourage, the idea of conjecturing. And I'll give them feedback with a smiley face or a sad face on the board about whether the number they write up is what uh, follows my rule. And whether or not they get it right, I give the pen to a new person with either a new example or the same example. Uh, you, this is a very famous game. It's a function game, guess the rule, whatever you want to call it. But it does introduce the idea of conjecturing. It introduces the idea of functions. I'm pretty sure you can teach almost any mathematical concept um, with the medium of this game. You can work backwards to deal with inverses. You can deal with equivalent algebraic expressions. It's a very fertile territory, but it's also quite a memorable moment to do the whole thing in silence and watch how they react. You get a lot of people reacting very differently in a silent classroom from in a noisy one. And it's a useful uh, thing to introduce early in a class's experience because you can go back to that game once they understand how it works and have different concepts coming out of it at different times in the year. Second nice way to start a class and one you can use throughout the year is to do something impressive like a magic trick. This always provides some motivation if it's impressive enough. Uh, so one example is uh, the missing digit trick. Uh, this is a famous trick, but it is quite a challenge to work it out, although it doesn't need complicated maths. Setup is you get a volunteer to come and enter a number on a calculator by multiplying uh, single digit integers together. 1 times 6 times 5 times 8 times 4 times 3 times 9 times 2 times 5 times 5 times 6. Better if you can get them to do it on a calculator where everyone else in the room can see what they're typing in except you. So you need to turn your back or something. Just make sure they're doing what you ask them to be doing. Because once they've made a large product of single digits, so there'll be a large number on the screen after they pressed equals, they then read out the digits, which you can't see, but they can and everyone else can. And they read them out nice and slow in order. Um, but they leave one out, or you ask them to leave one out, but not to tell you when they leave it out or what it is. Because the trick is that after they finish reading all the digits except one you immediately tell them the missing digit. And if you can get this right, you will get a gasp from the audience because they can see, they can verify everything that's happening. Uh, this is a nice thing to do. I don't think I'm going to reveal the secret on this recording. Go and work it out like I expected the kids to. But it's nice to set up this as a magic trick where you uh, 
tell them you're not going to explain how to do it you're going to leave it as a challenge and if anyone does work it out they're not to share it what you'd like them to do is to perform it in front of the class now not everyone will have the guts to do that but if someone does work it out and wants to perform it you get a massive payoff they get a lot of kudos it's a very lovely bit of diversion which is genuinely mathematical so working out that trick is a genuine nice piece of maths um, the warning I should say though is that I did this once to a new class in the class was the new headmaster's son, it was a year 7 class and uh, I got it wrong four times on the trot in front of this new class so they had a good laugh and the headmaster's son went home that evening to tell the new headmaster about this maths teacher who couldn't do magic, uh, let alone maths but it did lead to a nice conversation about getting things wrong uh, and what we do about that anyway um, magic is a really fertile ground to provoke curiosity which is what we're looking for in maths um, and I think anything you start the uh, year off with a bit of curiosity is a nice way to begin. I'm Ben Sparks. Get in touch on Twitter at SparksMaths if you want to. Hi, my name's Bruno Reddy and this is how I like to run my first lesson back. First thing to do is to establish great classroom entry routines. Once they're in, they're sat down in the seating plan that I've already created. I then want to, to imbue them with a sense of possibility, to start getting to dream big about what's possible. And to really help bring that dream home, I show them a video of students from our school who only a couple of weeks previously have picked up a great set of GCSE results. That way it feels really tangible, that it's really close to home, that students from their own school who have sat in the seats that they're sitting in can be really successful. And once I've shown them that video, I then take them on a journey with their eyes closed while I tell them the story of them sitting their own GCSE exams in five years' time. The anxiety, the stress, the wait for the results, and then the all-important results day when they open up the envelope and how exciting that's going to be because while they've got their eyes closed I'm tiptoeing around the classroom putting on their desks these fake GCSE certificates that I've used mail merge to put their name on and some fake set of GCSE results and their date of birth and it looks really official so when they open it they think wow I've done it I've done it this is what it feels like to open those great results and then we close the lesson by um, going through some more classroom routines, some typical signals, a typical agenda. Uh, and that way, uh, we, the two things I've hoped to establish in that first lesson are great routines and a sense of possibility for the future. Hi, my name is Chris McGrain. I'm a principal teacher of maths at Secondary School in Glasgow and on Twitter I'm Chris McGrain84. For me, first, first lessons are very important, just like the, like the rest of the first week with a new class. It's not going to be about building relationships in that first lesson. It's almost impossible to do in an hour or even in that first week. It will take much longer than that. As my good friend Danny Brown says, be mathematical in front of our learners and with our learners is actually the basis upon which we develop those working relationships. The opportunity for that in the first lesson, to me, 
um, is quite minimal. The routines are very important. I want the kids to know what the expectations are, but I want them to feel safe. I want them to know what they're getting. I want them to know things will be consistent. So the entry routine, depending upon the class, if it's younger classes or if it's a class who may be a bit older but we know are potentially going to bring some behaviour issues with them, I would expect them to line up outside the door and wait to be called in. They'll be in silence, standing in twos outside, and then they'll be asked to enter the room quietly and get started immediately. If they don't manage this, I'll ask them to step back outside and we'll try again, and we might even do it a third time until they do it properly. I think that's quite an important uh, aspect of the, the lesson to labour, because once they're in the classroom, I want to maximise the focus on the learning. Um, and by having good entry routines, which will speed up as the week goes on, I think we can do that. Similarly, when they leave the class, it's about knowing how they should be doing that. And that's by standing behind their desks, uh, tucking the chairs in, making sure all the materials are back in the right place. And I'll tend to release the class by by column or by group. I, I don't like to be shouty or confrontational in that first lesson whatsoever. It's better to be calm but have a clear manner of operating. I don't want to put pupils on edge um, because ultimately I do want them to feel safe in the room. I want to feel secure and I don't want them to feel as if um, I'm, I'm desperate to get onto them about something. I'm not. However, some basics have to be laid out. The expectation that when I talk, nobody else does. Similarly, when a pupil is talking to me for the benefit of the whole class, then everyone else should be listening and not talking. I think it's very, very obvious that what you tolerate in the first lesson is what you'll be prepared to tolerate for the rest of the year. And if you don't want to tolerate a behaviour, if you do so in the first lesson, then you're going to have a battle um, to kind of get the behaviour the way you want it. It's not about not smiling to Christmas, because I will smile, um, and I'll be warm, but I'll make it clear that we mean business, that we're in the room to learn, and that every single second counts. It's not about control, it's about giving a platform upon which good learning and teaching can occur. If I want pupils to have opportunities to work together in pairs or in groups, then that's going to be much easier from a basis of calm orderly uh, functionality which we'll establish over that first week. I do like to try and get a sense of the pupils' work. Of course you'll have information passed to you from the other teachers, you'll have previous assessment results or whatever, but actually getting round and have a look at the pupils' work is the beginning of that process of really getting to know them yourself. It, and it's also a chance to kind of pick up on sloppiness. In our, in our department, we insist that pupils use a pencil, not a pen, um, for when they're making mistakes and what have you. I'll be picking up on little things like that as I go. Not making a big deal about it, but just reminding them of what the expectations are. Going round the class also provides me with an opportunity to say something positive to the young people about their work. I'm unlikely to use many whiteboards on the very first day, but I will do so frequently thereafter. I think... Um, 
that is another r- routine and procedure which will take a bit of managing uh, to it becomes automatic. When I talk to the class, I try not to get too far ahead of myself. I want to lay out what we're aiming for uh, in, the, in the coming year, whether it's an exam class, I'll talk about um, how I want them to be uh, working the hardest and uh, have them understand what, they need, what they're going to have to do and perhaps lay out a little bit of what the homework is, what have, what have you is going to be like and what level of self-study they'll have to do. Um, with our younger classes, letting them know about where we're going, what our journey is going to be like. But I don't spend too long on that because that will emerge over time. I almost always end the first lesson saying something positive and I think that's important. Guys, I've been really impressed with how things have went today. Um, it's going to be really good working with you. Uh, the way we've conducted ourselves and the way we got about our business today was really good. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Something like that. In our department, we have an every child, every night homework policy, and I'll be starting with that from the get-go and making clear the expectations with that as well. Overall, it's about building positive working relationships for the long term. It's easy enough to get a class to like you for the first week, but we need to get the respect for the year in order to facilitate the best learning that we can. It's about having the pupils in the room, having them understand that we've got expectations, we've got a way of operating, um, and that the learning is going to be key. And obviously, over time, it'll become more relaxed as I get to know them and they get to know me. My name is Chris Smith, I'm a Scottish maths teacher and on Twitter I am at AAP03102. For my first lesson with a class I always, always, always have something mathsy planned. But before any of the geeky fun can kick off, I'm armed with a seating plan. Why do I bother with something like a seating plan? Well, it makes it crystal clear that everyone including me, has their place in my classroom. And, for the most part, I'm going to be calling the shots. And so I start the ball rolling by telling everyone where I expect them to sit. Sure, it will change during the year, but I'll always begin with pupils arranged in alphabetical order, but never by their surname. The reason... Well, there's two reasons for this. First of all, I remember the misfortune of Kirsten Sinclair. She was the girl who ended up sitting next to me in every class during our secondary school education. Smith and Sinclair. And I remember poor Kirsten Sinclair having to put up with me in every classroom. Lots of your colleagues will be arranging by surname. And so think about using a different system. So I always use the first name. And the other reason that I think it's an excellent idea to do that is because it really helps me with my main aim in that first lesson of learning every pupil's name by the end of the lesson. And I've got a much better chance of doing that if I know that that kid is sitting in the part of the classroom that's got the A's, the B's and the C's. A final point here is that I can't be too rigid in this arrangement. Well, students who need to be positioned in 
specific locations because of wheelchair access or due to hearing or visual problems. So I've got to remember that. Now talking about the nuts and bolts of teaching will be completely obvious to most folk listening to this podcast. So I'm sorry for wasting your time, but I hope that this advice is helpful to at least one new teacher out there. Thanks so much, folks. Hello, my name's Colin. I'm a teacher at Thornley in Bolton. Uh, I'm not cool enough to have a Twitter handle, but I can certainly offer my advice for the first lesson. Um, for me, I just I just crack straight on with things. I'll I'll have the seating plan up on the board for kids to come in, suss out where they're going. I'll obviously help them with that because they inevitably get confused. Which side's the teacher's desk? Who's at the front? Who's at the back? Um, I'm not one for lecturing them at the start. Um, I, I find kids very often switch off when they've got to listen to more than a couple of minutes worth of uh, my spiel. So I demonstrate everything I want to do within my lesson. Um, dish out books, tell students where I want the date, title, underlined, etc., etc. I, I, I say I think the key to it is showing exactly what the lesson looks like. Um, and as I say, I, I'd probably go straight into things. I I just crack on with the scheme of work. I, I don't want to waste time. I I want students to know exactly what they're going to expect when they come into my lessons. And the best way to do that is just to model it. Um, I suppose I might, if I've got a bit of a lesson structure for the week, what I do at the first lesson of the week, I'm doing low stakes quizzes or something, I might just give them a little oversight of that, just tell them what to expect each day of the week, whether there's... Um, if there's going to be a starter on the board every single lesson, just to come in and crack on with that. Um, and that's about it, really. Um, what I would say, just this is potentially for new members of staff, new um, teachers, in terms of behaviour management, I would always go on the stricter side of things. It's much, much easier to relax and um, ease up with students, whereas going the other way if you set your stalls a little bit too long there's no chance you're getting that back so behavior management sharp on them demonstrates everything you want to do if they know exactly what to expect they've got the boundaries inevitably kids whatever age tend to do that um and that's it for me good luck enjoy My name is Damien Berry. I'm a deputy head teacher um, and science teacher from Penrail School in Swansea. Okay, first lesson. Well, first and foremost, they, they come in and they're going to sit in a seating plan that I'm going to give them. It just communicates to them that they're in my classroom to work. Then any admin giving out books or, 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 or plickers um, cards is done really, really quickly. Things stuck in really, really quickly. And then it's on to expectations. Um, this was summed up really nicely by somebody on Twitter. Uh, my expectations are, well, basically, I'm going to tell them that I'm going to work incredibly hard for them this year, but my expectation is they're going to work a lot harder. Um, and if they're prepared to do that and they're prepared to knuckle down, the learning is going to take care of itself, and, and obviously then the, the academic outcomes as well. And then I'll give a, a brief overview of the sort of a, a typical lesson. What are the routines of a typical lesson? I, I'll explain the what, but I'll also try to explain the why. Um, so we'll talk about the fact that every lesson is going to start with six questions from the retrieval roulette. So three from the current topic and, and three from previous topics. 
So looking at Ebbinghaus and um, the testing effect, hopefully they'll understand exactly why we're doing those things. I'll talk about how pretty much every lesson will have a multiple choice hinge question and how I'll collect their responses in uh, using plickers. Um, I'll also explain what I'm going to do um, with the outcomes to the hinge question. Um, we'll also talk about the fact that every couple of lessons will have an exit ticket them handed in to me on the way out so I can get feedback on how well they, they're getting it. Do they understand things well enough for me to be able to move on? What I'll do if a majority get it right, what I'll do if, you know, if, a, if my, only a minority get it right. We'll also talk about the fact that once we finish the topic, there'll be a measured uh, delay and then we'll have a spacing lesson. We will revisit um, the lesson again and I'll show them a, a spacing sheet, a typical spacing sheet that, that we'll use during that follow-up lesson. And again, hopefully they'll understand exactly why it is we're doing it. Um, and then we, we, we'll get down to work. Um, no matter what, how long is left in the lesson, they probably have at least or up to 10 questions, retrieval questions based on what I need them to remember from last year. So, for instance, for my year 11s, what are the key bits of knowledge I'll have needed them to bring uh, from year 10 into year 11 so they can really, really build on it with the, the topics in year 11? And when they're uh, working on their, their, the retrieval questions, I can have a look at my seating plan and just uh, start to learn uh, some names, obviously, the, the, the quicker I get to learn their names, the, the better it's going to be. And I can then ask them some questions, get some feedback um, and, and have a good understanding of what they're bringing from last year into this year. And that's pretty much it for the first lesson. We'll, we'll take the folders back in for year 11. Uh, we, we might I might give them back out and say that they need to come back quicker. And at the start of the next lesson, we'll practice getting the, the folders handed out and pupils working really, really quickly. We might try that two or three times. I know it, it, it might sound really, really pedantic, but again, it's communicating to students that in my classroom, every single minute matters. So that's what a first lesson is going to look like. Hi, I'm Dan Piercy. I'm the Head of Maths at Gems World Academy in Switzerland, and on Twitter, I'm at Daniel Piercy. After setting out some classroom expectations on the first lesson back, I really like to get the students doing maths with a low-floor, high-ceiling task. I think my favourite task with Year 9, and I'm basing this very much on my specific school context, is to ask how many ways there are to put four people in order, and then the investigation moves on to generality from there. Obviously, with Year 6, you can start with three people, and move on to 10 people, or whatever works best for the, the, for the specific class. With older years, you can modify the problem by asking how many permutations there would be if we had identical twins in the group, or if instead of ordering in a line, the number of permutations of people sat around a circular table. There's loads of possibilities with modifications. What else? Uh, instead of people, we can ask how many ways there are to order n distinct letters, and that naturally progresses to the case where the, where the letters aren't distinct. Or to a different case, such as finding the number of ways the Harry Potter novels could be placed in order from a stack of N books. It's a great first lesson, and the benefit of setting a low floor, high ceiling task is that you can be mindful of the mathematical personalities in the group, such as the people that persist on problems, or the students that don't write anything down, or students that ask for help immediately, but at the same time, you can consistently make reference to all the positive behaviours in the room and then really encourage the expectations you mentioned at the start of the lesson. Thanks. Hi, 
my name's Dan Rodriguez-Clark. I'm a maths teacher and teaching and learning coordinator. And on Twitter, I am at InteractMaths. For me, the first lesson is all about setting expectations for the rest of the year. So I start with a starter activity projected on the board, three or four questions based on maths that they've covered in previous years. I'll meet them at the door, uh, say hello to them obviously, and uh, show them the printed seating plan, um, get them to go into the class so they can find their seats, and I will have already put exercise books on each of the desks and I instruct them to start the questions, the starter activity, as soon as they sit down. At least one of those questions is going to cover uh, the prior knowledge needed for the first unit that we're going to be covering. After they've had time to complete that and we've marked the questions they've done, uh, I explain why we did it. So I'll talk about retrieval practice, how it helps them review information, helps them remember things better. Uh, and that we're going to start all lessons with this, this starter activity and I expect them to come in and do the starter as soon as they get into the class. It's slightly different in most lessons because I run a last lesson last week further back uh, starter activity. Obviously in the first lesson I can't do a last lesson or last week one. So it's slightly different but it's the same principle. I also then explain the rules of my classroom I explain to them that there's going to be a weekly quiz and why we're going to do that, space practice, retrieval practice. Then I give them a, a copy of uh, a sheet I made a couple of years ago called Eight Tips for Learning Maths. Um, if you're interested in that, you can find it on my blog. Um, and I get them to stick that into their texts, into their exercise books, and we go through each of the points. It's some of the ideas of cognitive science applied to maths. So knowing your times tables automatically, practicing lots, um, but linked directly to, to maths. Then I'll start teaching. Whatever the first unit of work is, um, do some example problem pairs, use silent teacher. I'll obviously explain this to them because it's the first time that they're doing it. Um, and then maybe if there's some time at the end, a little bit of independent practice. Uh, but what I really want out of that first lesson is for them to see that I think what they're learning is important. I want them to see that we're getting straight into this because it's important. That's why I'm here. That's why they're here to learn this maths. And I want them to see that we're going to do that in the very first lesson. We're not going to waste any time. Um, and I want them to see that it's consistent, that the way I run my classroom is consistent, that there are things that we will do every lesson. Yes, there's some admin you have to do. It's the first lesson. Obviously, you have to get them into their seats. You have to go over some behavior expectations. But I do think that those things will also come over time, the behavior things. They'll see in the first couple of weeks, they'll, they'll realize where the, the expectations are and you can make it explicit over that time. And on that first day, yes, I want to explain that, but I also want to teach. Um, I think for me the most important thing is in that first day starting as I mean to go on. Hello, 
My name is David Barn. I am Head of Maths at East Burgholt High School in Suffolk and on Twitter I am at DagsMaths. My first lesson will be based upon a Year 7 class. Last year I talked to Year 7 class for the first time in a, in a couple of years. I was also a Year 7 tutor. So I took the opportunity with, with both of those groups to sort of get some feedback on what they wanted and what worked for them. First thing I would say is make sure you have a seating plan, check any pre-information you have to any restrictions to, to learning which is going to be affected by that seating plan, i.e. visuals of the board or, or hearing. I've also found that the students quite like the fact that if you acknowledge that that position does work for them um, very quietly on a one-to-one -one basis so that you can address any issues that, that, that may arise. I then think it's important to just follow the kind of routine you plan to have throughout the year. So I would do a do now or I start a task, a times table challenge or um, the math spots do, do now tasks have been very, very good um, in order to get all students to be able to access them. The main part of the lesson will largely be me outlining some of the expectations that I have for them. Now the school may have policies regarding to these and it's worth reaffirming these with the students they are going to get that from every lesson but I don't think there's anything too far wrong to have that for me expectations will be largely over effort over outcome to start with but be very aware that they would have some very different experiences and um, especially last year when I had students that were quite good mathematicians but maybe had just fallen short of the expected level they felt very much um, a negative attitude towards the maths because they felt they they couldn't do maths and I think it's important to, to give them that fresh start from day one. We don't at my school set on week one we do set within about the first half term but that is based on our own assessments and also using some of the sats but not any one piece of piece of evidence to doing the setting. I think following on from a lot of what, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, a lot of the other things would be not to overload too much too early on. So I keep to maybe one or two, at most three things that I will be expecting. There is of, often um, a fear of homework and the students are very keen to know what what their expectations or what my expectations will be with regard to the homework um, because that's new to them but I try and park that to some extent I'm not going to give them homework in the first um, lesson I want them to get settled in to where they are so for me my expectations as I said is about effort over outcome layout of the books that would tie in with the school school's policy and some sort of basics of expectation that, that I would expect within my class so it's in a way a very behavioral related first lesson to set those expectations. They go a lot quicker than I planned and normally I may well have the first few tasks and the first few topics to move on to but rarely have I ever got to them in the first first lesson. We have a little bit of a conversation, try and get a little bit of feedback from the students as to where they are with their maths. At our school we have a variety of feeder schools and they could come from up to sort of 15 to 20 different primary schools they are all in a, a very different place um, and then at the end sort of have a little summary so do your sort of plenary but do that re with regard to your expectations build them up you may have a list of more than three expectations I imagine most teachers do 
but I try and build that up over a period of a week and when they become relevant rather than make sort of too much of an onus on them in that first period. Good luck with those first lessons. Um, enjoy the year and I'm sure it will go through quicker than you may think. Hello, my name is David Morse. I'm a maths teacher and on Twitter I am at Maths for Everyone. My first lesson with a class depends upon my prior knowledge of them and in this podcast I will outline two typical first lessons. One for a class which I have taught the previous year and one for a brand new class that I've never previously encountered. This will usually be a year seven or eight. For a class that I have taught the previous year, which is typically a year 10, moving into year 11, I will be keen to get down to business and start the first new topic as quickly as possible. Before this, however, I will ensure that the students get a lovely welcome and they will also get a warm-up activity which gives them the opportunity to think about the work they have done last year. The welcome will not just consist of a hello and a smile, it will also include a mini packet of Haribo tan fastics which I will place on the desk of each student ready for their arrival. These Haribos are not just a bribe, there are many other reasons that I choose to start the year with this small gift. There's not time to go through all the reasons now, but they will all be revealed if Craig ever does a podcast entitled What is the best £3 that you have ever spent? The warm-up will be in the form of a worksheet grid. There will be eight typical questions from eight different topics that have been covered during the previous year. Then there will be space for four questions for students to create themselves on four topics which I have not included. For the higher attainers, I will insist that the topics they create questions on are different to the topics of other students that are sitting near to them. This means they will have to reflect even more on the topics that have previously been covered. With a brand new class, I will start with a settler and then go through my classroom and lesson expectations. The settler will either be a task without specifics or it will be a nine-letter word wheel. A typical task without specifics might be how many tennis balls will be needed to fill a swimming pool. I tell them nothing about the tennis balls or the swimming pool. I let them know that I have no idea what the answer is, so it's no good them calling out random guesses they have to be able to explain to me, in fact convince me, using written calculations, why the answer they give is accurate. If I set a word wheel, the students have to find as many maths words as possible. The nine-letter word that I use is likely to be an anagram of rectangle, trapezium or numerator, because there are a reasonable number of maths words that can be made from these. I know not to use a word such as frequency, because they won't get very far. Go on, try it yourself. How many math words can you make using the letters in frequency? Afterwards, try it with trapezium. As the students come in, I will let them sit wherever they want, as long as there is no silly behaviour. If a student does misbehave, then I will tell them where they are are to sit. I don't want um, the first lesson to be regimental with all students on best behaviour. I want the students to be as relaxed as possible so they can let their personalities show. While they're attempting the task without specifics or the word wheel, I'll be wandering around the room watching interactions, their concentration and effort. After about 10 minutes, I will take a break from the task, introduce myself and then set about telling them 
my expectations. I will go through the school expectations and all the bits about writing the date and using a ruler etc but I will quickly get on to what I consider to be the two most important expectations of all. First I will tell them what they can expect of me. They can expect that I will do my utmost best to make their math lessons as enjoyable as possible and in return I expect them to do their utmost best to improve their maths as much as possible. My second and most important expectation is for all the students to make the most of the learning opportunities when they get stuck. I stress for me that being stuck is the best part of maths. The point at which we start learning most is when we get stuck. If we don't get stuck, then we're only doing what we already know what to do. I'm a huge believer in that the start of success comes when we step outside of our comfort zone. In fact, we have to get used to stepping outside of our comfort zone and struggle with a task if we want to get the full effect of the light bulb moment, the aha, the eureka, the full joy of the moment at which we become unstuck. That, I think, is one of the most important messages that I give to all my new students. Hi Craig, I'm Gemma Sherwood, I'm a maths teacher and on Twitter I'm GemMaths. My first lesson is really about setting ethos and making sure that everybody knows exactly what the next year is going to be like. And I want us to start as we mean to go on. So my students will enter the room in silence and I've prepared a seating plan and I show them where I want them to sit. And the first thing I do is, I suppose, a bit of a pep talk, which essentially boils down to I will teach you to be good at maths and you will work really hard and you will respect each other. And together we're going to be really successful. It's something that I keep coming back to throughout and it's a recurring theme, but I need to make sure that at the very start that that's the first impression that they get of being in my classroom. And then we go straight into some hardcore maths, for want of a better phrase, some proper maths. Um, I like to use activities that are going to give me quick wins so that the students leave that first lesson feeling like they've been really successful and feeling like they've had a really good experience. I make sure that I ask them all lots of questions. I make a conscious effort to make sure that I ask a question of every single person in the room. Um, and the reason behind that is because I want them to know that they have got to think hard and they can't get away with hiding away. I want them to know that they are going to be involved and obviously as the year goes on I become much better at knowing who to ask which questions to and when to ask um, certain people and when not to as I get to know the students but I want them to know straight away that we are in it together and we're going to work hard together and that's how I try and set up my first lessons. Hi, I'm Jess. I'm a maths teacher. On Twitter, I am 49cubed. Um, for my first lesson with a class, I generally start with sort of the admin bits and pieces. So getting them in, getting them into the seating plan, handing out new books, explaining how I want them to write things on the front cover, etc. Now, I think in the past, I've sort of 
gone too quickly over kind of basic expectations and rules and procedures and routines of how I want things to work in my classroom. Um, so this September, that's something I'm really going to be focusing on. And the reason I think I've skipped over it in the past is it seems a bit boring. Like things like this is what you do if you've forgotten your pen this is what you do if you don't have a calculator and you need one this is where the glue sticks will be and this is how you're going to glue in your work it feels like it feels almost like you don't need to teach them that they can work those things out for themselves but actually i think if those routines aren't embedded from the very beginning you then have to kind of fight a lot of smaller battles over the course of the year so that's something i'm gonna really be working on then in terms of what I do for the main portion of the lesson, because I don't just want it to be about admin and I don't equally want to do any kind of icebreaker activities or name activities, I don't think they would work well for me. What I normally do is the four fours challenge. I'll send across a link to this if anyone hasn't heard of it. Um, but if you haven't heard of it, the principle is quite simple. Using four fours, you have got to create all the numbers from 1 to 20. You can use any operations that you like. Um, and what I really like about this task is, A, it's accessible for all pupils, regardless of their starting point. All pupils, you know, are, can do four and then add four and then add four and then add four and that gets them one number, that gets them to 16. Um, it's also quite high ceiling. It takes even the very highest attaining pupils that I view this task with. Um, it's reasonably unusual to get all numbers from 1 to 20 in the space of a 50 minute lesson so it's nice it's it's kind of it's engaging it's something they can all do but more than that it gives me an opportunity to see how how they work whether they're pupils who kind of want to get straight on with the task whether they're pupils who are reluctant to put things down on paper unless they're 100 percent sure it's correct um gives you a chance to see how they naturally go to like lay out the presentation of their work if they're really neat and precise about it or if they just want to get things down um allows you to see what what their um what of their basic numeracy skills are like if they remember the correct priority of operations or if they just do all operations from left to right um and so it gives you an opportunity to sort of wander around talk to the pupils, talk about their strategies, seeing if they're being quite systematic and trying to create the numbers from 1 to 20 in order, or if they're just going to try and make some numbers and see what happens. Um, so that's what I do with most of my classes while I meet them for the very first time. Um, as I say, I've used this with pupils of all kind of different starting points, and I think it works really well. So that's what I will be doing in September. Thanks. I'm Jo Facer. I'm an English teacher. Um, on Twitter, I'm Jo underscore Facer. So for my first ever lesson with a new class, I would smile lots, uh, but keep my standards high. And uh, if, like, if the kids are being too loud, I'd get them to all you know, come into the room again. But I do it with a smile. I try not to tell them off, especially on mass, in that first lesson. Um, in terms of standards, I would choose to get them to the school standards rather than my, my own standards, which may be slightly higher because you don't want to fight that battle in that first lesson. 
Um, individual students will usually have millions of questions if it's the first time they're meeting you. So I try and say as little as possible uh, to them and just smile and say, I'm going to talk to the whole class in just a moment. Obviously, have a seating plan. I would print it out yourself and direct students to uh, seats. I used to project it on the board and then sort of treasure map style. They'd have to try and find their seats and it was always loud and nightmarish. So I, now I print it out and I direct them to where they sit. Then when they're all sitting, I'd introduce uh, myself really briefly. And what I try and do is keep any extra information that I want to give them to make me sound more human linked to my subject and ideally to the topic, because then you can kind of uh, segue nicely into it. I'd crack through the admin quickly as possible, you know, the register, names on books and that kind of thing you know really really rapidly and push them to move faster and if they're too slow just be like don't worry you'll have time to finish writing your name on your book in a moment because they will kind of dawdle um, in that because what you want to do is start teaching um, and start teaching as quickly as possible and then just go from there. You know, if I knew the class really well, I would talk to them about the topic. I'd get them really excited about it. I'd share loads of like interesting things for a few minutes, but with a brand new class, I just find they're way too excited for me to be able to do this. So I just need to stay calm and start teaching. teacher, I tweet as MathGem and I write the blog resourceaholic.com. I want to talk about a first lesson with a year 11 class. There's a few things I do there that are a bit different to what my colleagues do. Um, we all start with um, talking to our students about routines and rules and expectations um, but something that I do before that is I pretty much show my CV to my students, which is quite unusual, you know, not not in a CV form, but I list my credentials and I kind of big myself up, you know, I, I sell myself to them. I say, you are in safe hands with me because look at my experience, look at my qualifications, look at the success I've had in the past teaching similar classes. Um, and I want them to trust me from the beginning. And I think that's really important. I want them to know they're going to have a great year in maths because they're going to enjoy it and they're going to be successful. And I think that's really important to build that relationship from the beginning of trust and of them knowing they're going to love maths this year because they're in really safe hands with this great new teacher. Um, so I do that, whether it's true or not, <laughs> that they're in safe hands, I don't know. But the point is that I will come in with this huge level of confidence. Um, I'll also tell them they're going to be my best class ever. I'll tell them that last year I love my year 11s. I'll say that, you know, these, these, this class I had last year worked so hard um, and were really great to teach. And th seven of them got a grade nine and I was so proud. And everyone did really well. And on results day, everyone was all smiles. What a great class. But then I'll say, I have a feeling you guys are going to be even better. And I'll say, you know, you guys, um, 34 of you are going to get a grade nine. Like every single person in this class is going to do it and, and it will be the best results I've ever had. So, you know, I tell them, I tell them these, uh, I give them this kind of challenge where I'll say, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, if you guys all got a grade nine and they'll laugh and they'll think it's funny. Of course, we can't do that. And I'll say, well, actually, I believe you can. So right from day one, they know that I believe in them. And I think, again, it's like a bit like a pep talk where they're kind of, they're, they're being motivated. They're being, they're, I'm giving them something to work towards, it's driving them towards um, impressing me. I, you know, I'm, I'm saying I want them to all wow me. Um, 
so the other thing I do that goes along with that is I'll tell them one or two success stories like some case studies from the previous year so I'll say hey I had this student James and you all know James I'll put a picture of him up on the board yeah you know this guy he was on a grade four at the beginning of year 11 and he came to see me and said um, I don't like being on this grade I'm not happy with it what can I do to improve and I gave him some advice and he was like a different person in year 11 he was driven and motivated he was focused in class and he did amazingly he ended up with a grade eight it was fantastic I couldn't believe it I was so happy he got a grade 8 he went up so much from a grade 4 to a grade 8 in year 11 now when I tell a story like that um, and I show I share a case study or a success story you can see how much it motivates some of them so some of them will be sitting there thinking oh it's like me I'm on a grade 4 right now I could be this guy who ends up with a grade 8 so, you know, this sort of thing, I think, is really motivational. So, yes, I will do my first lesson. We'll have stuff about routines and rules. And then I'll get straight on with teaching quadratics as soon as I finished all that. But I think the kind of motivational, I believe in you and you're going to be amazing thing is so important with year 11. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about today was year seven. Now, I find this hard. First lessons with year seven because there's such a difficult balance there now I have seen um, first year seven lessons where they're all running around doing group work and they're being really loud and it's all a bit crazy on the other end of the spectrum I've seen first year seven lessons where the teacher has spoken in a sort of deadpan monotone um, uh, unsmiling uh, tone the entire lesson and has just basically done an hour of all rules and no maths whatsoever now that's not good because um, that's quite heartbreaking. These students have just joined secondary school. They're nervous and they're excited and they think that maths at secondary school is going to be exciting. And if they come along to the most depressing lesson of all time, then they're going to go home hating maths from day one. And then it's hard to change that attitude once they start hating maths. So there's a difficult balance to get because we all know that if you lose the behavior from the beginning, then you're, you're in trouble. You need to get the behavior right. So we don't want them running around the class. We don't want them um, doing stuff that they wouldn't normally do in a lesson. Um, but we do want them to have enthusiasm for maths for day one. So I think the thing here is they want, we want them to know that we're enthusiastic about maths. We want them to do something where they can show us what they can do. So we need some kind of activity that works well. Now, I've got some ideas, and as soon as this podcast uh, goes live, I'm going to share them on a blog. Some ideas for activities which are accessible to all, because we don't know the level of the students in Year 7 in their first lesson, but give every student the opportunity to enjoy the activity and to show what they can do to demonstrate their strengths in maths. Um, so I've got some ideas for that, which I'll share. But I do think that Year 7, it's hard to get it right. But, you know, there are definitely extremes that are best avoided. There's the monotone, depressing first lesson. And then there's the uh, running around the room, crazy first lesson. You know, we need the right balance there. I love September. I love first lessons. Um, it really is a great time of year. So good luck to everyone. I really hope it goes well. Hello, my name is John Summit. I'm an English teacher and on Twitter I am at right okay so. Right, okay, so for my first lesson with the class. Now this will be my 13th batch of first lessons. Uh, they've certainly evolved in that time in line with my teaching. Um, but one thing I would say, now uh, 
I'm an English teacher, as I mentioned, on, on Edu Twitter the other week, there was a little breakout conversation amongst English teachers about first lessons. And a teacher that I really enjoy called X Curtis, uh, he, he's, um, he's really good on Twitter, and he, he tweeted something I agreed with. He said, I simply tell students where to sit and then start teaching the topic within five minutes of the lesson starting. And that really made me think, and I know that the spirit of what he said is correct, and I do agree with him, but I still think... I still think that I can justify just one lesson before the curriculum actually begins. And I think, and I know all schools are different, but in my setting, I think that's needed. So my first lesson this year, I'll be making it as orderly and urgent as I possibly can. I don't want to dither, but I think with the administration involved in things like, now for us, it's show my homework, uh, there's files to give out. There's obviously the seating plan, there's feedback sheets that we have to give out um, and there's potentially actually a standardised spelling test to do as well. So I, I think inevitably my first lesson will include all of that bump. So um, this summer I've been reading uh, When the Adults Change, Everything Changes by Paul Dix and I really enjoyed that book. And so I'm determined to start with a handshake for every student as prescribed by him. And then after that, there's two main objectives. And the, the main one really will be to establish routine. And this is something that I can get on with in the first lesson. Routine's a really important part of my practice. And so once I've given them all their seats, I'll start the first lesson in the same way that I hope to start every lesson this year with a question linked to their previous learning. Um, uh, maybe a little speed task as well that gets them right in. Two or three questions linked to recall and maybe a couple of spellings. And it, well, I actually like to put all of this onto a single worksheet for them. So one of my first jobs on Monday's inset day will be to make the sort of 2018-19 version of that sheet. And one thing I'd say is that the answers that they give in that first lesson, they'll matter less in that first lesson than they're ever going to matter in any other subsequent lessons. Because, of course, there's been no previous learning or, or there has, but it was six or seven weeks ago. And in any case, it probably wasn't. Um, on the topic that we're going to be doing. So whatever questions I come up with for that first sheet, the answers aren't that important. The important part of it is the doing of it. It's to establish that routine early. And I'll be really explicit with them in terms of telling them, you know, this is what we're doing. These are my expectations. Get used to this sheet. We'll be doing it every single lesson. Then we'll move on to the admin or the bump that I just mentioned before. And then once that's done, Really, it's going to be down to some of the logistics of uh, the school you're in, I suppose. But I mean, the the truth is that the length of the actual first lessons for each class, how it will actually go in reality will depend on lots of external factors like extended assemblies or um, early finishes. Or for us, it'll be year seven going in early for lunch in their first week. And there's all of these sort of practicalities to consider. But assuming that we have the full hour, the actual teaching that I'd like to do um, after we've done the admin will be something quite general, but something really useful. So the thing that I've been doing for the last three or four years has been, I took it from David Didow's uh, Secret of Literacy book. And it's without explaining the whole thing uh, or giving a, a mini lecture on it, basically it's a Greek and Latin roots exercise a little etymology thing where you, you're getting students to recognise the origins of, of words. And because it's such a general thing, 
it's a really useful thing anyway, regardless of it being in the in the first lesson. But because it's such a general thing, I know for a fact it's something that I'll refer back to time and time again as the year goes on. So um, we'll do that with a bit of luck. And then we'll round things off by sort of making a bit, a deal of the first homework. Um, I say it like that because I just think for children, you know, they, they're like us. They want to start the year really positively as well. And there's no better way really to prove to their parents or to prove to us that, you know, they're turning over a new leaf or, or they're going to be just as motivated as they ever have been, depending on what type of student they are. There's no better way than to do a homework. And um, so I actually really think it's important to set them a homework, nothing massive, maybe just to fill in a worksheet or find a couple of dictionary definitions, but make a big deal of it and, um, yeah, finish finish with that. So, yeah, setting a homework, really important. And, uh, yeah, in general, I hope that was uh, of, of some use to you in some small way. Thanks very much. Cheers. Hi, my name's Luke. I'm a teacher and mountain leader in Switzerland, and on Twitter, I'm LukePierce85. My views on first lessons have evolved quite a lot over the years. Initially, uh, I followed the advice of my first mentor who suggested just go in and uh, teach as normal. I do like that approach because I think it gives a contrast from what most other teachers do, but it didn't work so well for me because I'm perhaps not as good as he was at upholding uh, behavioural routines throughout the year and kind of uh, seizing upon the moment to introduce them as and when issues arise. So I actually went at one point completely the other way. Um, To get an example of this, if you go on YouTube and search for Tyler Hester, you can see three really amazing sort of enchanting videos where you see Tyler teaching the first three lessons of term and he implements almost every behavior management strategy you've ever heard of and hundreds of routines. It's it's really interesting to watch. So I kind of tried this as well myself and then this was too far the other way. And I think now I've found a balance between the two where I gradually introduce routines throughout the first week or two of term still leaving plenty of time to actually teach subject content um, in every lesson, including the first lesson, because that is still really important to me. One area of behaviour that I pay particular attention to that other teachers may not focus quite so much on at the start of term is questioning. I'm sure we've all been in that situation where you're halfway through an example and Uh, a pupil pipes up uh, with something like so I haven't done my homework or um, can I have some help with this problem not the right time uh, to do that and so one of the things I I try to do right from the start of term is to train pupils in when is the right time to ask a question and how they can ask a question to get the most effective help possible One thing that I'm going to try that's new this year is an idea I got from Greg Ashman's latest appearance on Craig's podcast, which is to uh, use some of the approaches you might normally use for subject content uh, to try to teach behavioural routines, specifically uh, spaced retrieval practice. So I've built into my uh, introduction document lots of 
quizzes that I'll set the kids throughout uh, the first few weeks to check that they've understood some of the behavioural routines that I'm putting in place. I got loads of really great feedback on uh, the assessment policy that I mentioned on my last slice of advice. Uh, So it'd be really great if you could help me with my introduction to learning presentation too. You can find a copy of it on my blog at lukepierce.eu. Hello, my name is Mark McCourt. I am Chief Executive of LaSalle Education. Uh, Craig's question is about uh, first lessons, which I'm going to just completely ignore. I don't really like lesson as a unit of time. Um, I'd rather speak about the first couple of weeks with a new class. Um, I can't think of anything more important when it comes to why children will learn or not than the human relationships that you have with them. Um, and establishing those relationships quickly, I think, is really important. I think in the first few lessons, first couple of weeks, it's exceptionally important that these children who you meet for the first time, who will have all had very different experiences of mathematics, some will feel very good about maths, some will feel very bad about maths. I think the experience of meeting a new person should be... um Exemplified with feeling of success. Uh, they should feel success a lot in the first couple of, uh, of weeks, even if you have to manipulate the scenario such that the questions are designed so that they'll be successful, the tasks are designed so that they'll be successful. I think it's incredibly important that when they meet you, their feeling of mathematics is this is a place I go to and I can achieve. I can do what this teacher asked me to do. I can feel good about myself. I can feel good about the mathematics. I'm getting everything correct because I think that success will drive the motivation to continue. And when you have to get into doing some gritty mathematics, that perseverance will come from that motivation, which has come from that earlier success. I also think the first couple of weeks, a crucial thing to do is to establish as accurately as you possibly can the starting points for your pupils. If you think of mathematics as an entire journey through the whole of school level mathematics, where are they at on that journey? Um, And I would advise against um, thinking there is a year four curriculum or a year six curriculum or a year seven curriculum and just think, I've got some children here. I'm going to teach them mathematics. They're all at different starting points. Let's work out as closely as I can where those starting points are. And there's no need to rush it. People will feel very afraid a couple of weeks into September if the curriculum hasn't been started or they're not keeping up with the curriculum. But establishing the, the correct starting points will allow you to teach at pace uh, because they'll be learning mathematics just beyond what they know and you will be able to teach mathematics much more quickly. Um, So taking a couple of weeks at the start to get that point as as well as you possibly can will pay dividends in the long run. Don't worry about keeping up with the curriculum. So for me, it's about success, relationships, motivation and establishing starting points. Hello, my name's Mark Quinn. 
On Twitter, I'm at Mark Quinnotts. Um, I'm an assistant head, and I'm also head of maths. I think this is a great question. What does your first lesson look like? It is a really, really important part of teaching. Thinking back to when I did my PGCE, I didn't see a single teacher with a, with a class for their first lesson. And it wasn't something really that we discussed. There was a lot of emphasis on on what a lesson should look like and how to how to do that. But that idea of what you actually do first at the start of the term, how you set the agenda of what you want to happen for the rest of the year, how you start building new relationships. I think it is crucial. I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear what other people have to say on this topic. For me personally, I like to make sure I do some sort of task within that lesson that sets the tone, shows a group what I'm about as a teacher. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the first topic that we're going to do at the start of the year. So a, a good first task that I always like to use is the students write down the numbers 1 to 20. I give them four single-digit numbers, and I also tell them that they can use the four operations, so add and subtract in times and divide, and as many sets of brackets as that they want to use. And their task is to basically try and make the numbers 1 to 20 by using as at least two of the numbers. They can use all four numbers, but they can't repeat a number um, within a sum and they can't repeat a symbol within a sum. So for instance, if you chose one, two, three, four, for eight they can't do four, add four, or they can't also do one, add two, plus three makes six, because they've used add twice. Um, I think this is a great task. It also, it works for any single ability of group. Um, it is something that I'll probably use with key stage three. I might do it with a low ability key stage four group but it's certainly one that I've always continued to go back to um, by tweaking the numbers and changing the numbers it obviously affects the task massively but just for the amount of maths that they do and the amount of calculations and I don't know what your groups are like but I imagine most of the students haven't been spending their um, six weeks off doing loads and loads of arithmetic so it's nice to come back and just do a task that gets them back into thinking of maths it's a low risk task, it's not going to put pressure on too many people. The majority of students can easily make around 15 of the numbers and then the last few might be a little bit more challenging. And I might stop them during the task and just talk about um, different strategies. A lot of students tried to make 1 to 20 in order and then um, some of the students might just manipulate the numbers and find that they're far more successful of uh, making a lot of them. Um, Away from that task, I do like to set the tone. I do spend quite a bit of time going through what I expect in terms of behaviour within the class, what I expect from students within the book, but I don't spend too long. Um, I've, I've sort of tweaked this and, and done various things over the years, and sometimes I've, I've gone away from the first lesson and just thought, I've just spoke about group for the best part of an hour, they probably didn't take in as much information as I'd like them to, and it's became a bit of a waste of time. So I start off, I introduce myself. I really, really try and learn their names by the end of the first lesson, if not the second. For that reason, I, I use an alphabetical seating plan to start off the year with. I change my seating plans probably once every half, half term.
Hello, my name is Mike, but on Twitter and Tez I go by the name Owen134866. For my first lesson with a class, uh, I'll always have the seating plan displayed on the board and I say to students when they arrive that their first challenge is to find their correct seat in the room. Um, also on the board, along with the seating plan will be a series of fairly straightforward questions, uh, at least one of which is open-ended. That way, if students don't all arrive together, uh, which can happen often with the New Year 7s, then the ones who arrive first aren't going to run out of anything to do before some students have even got to the room. Um, there'll also be the instruction on there somewhere that students are expected to split pages in half down the middle in their books, which helps them get used to working down the page instead of across it. Also, since I work in an international school, it's quite often the case that Easily a third to a half of the class are going to be new to the school and a lot of those also new to the country. So I tend to go for activities which get students talking to each other and working together. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Mr. Barton's Venn diagrams, which are great for this kind of thing. What this does is it means I can go around and talk to the students and do my best to memorise their names. And at the end of the lesson, I try to go around the class and, and get all the students' names correct. I think it's important that if there's any students that I didn't get their names correct, then I make a point of... Uh, greeting them to the lesson by their name the next time I see them. Uh, the other thing I try and do in the first lesson at some point is to give all the students, regardless of their ability, a copy of the UKMT mentoring problems, the junior, intermediate or senior, depending on the age of the class, and the students stick these in the back of their books. Um, I think this is important because throughout the year I'll refer to these in lessons for extension work or if students or their parents are asking about if there's anything they can do to push themselves and they kind of have that stuff already there and I can just say, turn to the back of their book, there's a massive pile of questions for them to be doing if they want. So that's generally the things I try to achieve in that first lesson. Hello listeners and lovers of learning. My name is Ollie Lovell and I'm the head of senior maths and physics at a secondary school on the lands of the Kulin Nation in West Melbourne, Australia. On Twitter, I'm Ollie underscore Lovell, and you might also like to check out my podcast, The Education Research Reading Room. For my first lesson with a class each year, I try to do three main things. The first is to lay down some ground rules, the second is to get to know the students, and the third is to get stuck into some learning. For the first, in terms of laying down ground rules, I simply hand my year 11 and 12 students, I only teach year 11 and 12, a two pager sheet. Now this two pager has the title Mathematics and Physics Procedures and Expectations. The first heading is resources and it tells students where they can find the online resources that we make available to them. The next heading says each week and it lays out our weekly question progress check reflection protocol which you can hear about in the podcast in which Craig interviewed me in more detail about these three things. The next heading is Homework Follow-Up Procedure, where it outlines explicitly to students what the homework expectations are and what will happen if they don't complete their homework. And finally, it gives an example of a progress check reflection that's of a high standard and explains to students how they'll be expected to produce one of these each week. Now, this is a pretty explicit and rigid document, so I usually find that the tone of the class has somewhat dropped after this initial interaction. So what I say then is, but it's not all about the rules, and I understand that a big part of us learning together this year is about us getting to know each other and respecting each other as people. So the next thing I'd like you to do is fill out this About Me sheet. An About Me sheet is a basically a half an A4 sheet where I've included the following questions. What's your name and what would you like Ollie to call you? What's your preferred pronoun? 
What's your favourite hobby? For example, sports, game or music. Who is someone that you admire? And I've got in brackets. This could be a family member, friend, famous person, etc. What is your language most spoken at home? What's your favourite song? And I then take these students' uh, favourite songs and make a Spotify playlist, which I sometimes use at the end of lessons if the students have behaved well. For my Year 12 students, I ask them what their hopes for next year are, whether it be university or a more applied approach. It asks students what some of their strengths are and asks them to finish this sentence. Mathematics is... It asks them what their target study score is. And finally, is there anything else you think Ollie should know about you? I find that coupling these two activities together, really clearly laying out the rules and boundaries in the classroom, as well as showing that I want to get the, to know the students as people, really help to get the year off to a good start. And finally, we get stuck into some learning. I hope this little slice of advice has included at least something for you to take away. And until next time, keep learning. Hi, my name's Peter Mattock. I'm the head of maths at Brockington College. I always like to start my classes off with a lesson that just emphasises the expectations that I'm going to have them work to during the year and deals with the silly admin stuff like getting books issued and named. We also have homework booklets, so we deal with the issuing of those in the first lesson as well and make clear the expectations around those. The sort of things I tend to discuss in that lesson are things like my approach to seating plans. I always have a seating plan and I always make sure that the students are sat in it straight away from the minute they enter the room. I'll direct them to the right seat and then I'll talk a little bit about why I want them to sit in the seating plan, why it's important to me, why it's important to them and also my policy on changes to the seating plan which tends to be sort of if they come, want to come and talk to me about it at a break time or lunch time or after school, then that'll be fine. And I'll sit down and have a proper discussion with them. But I won't make seating plan changes just at the beginning of the lesson unless it's something that I am changing rather than something they've requested. And I tend to find that, that the sort of frivolous request that you might get gets shut down by that, forcing them to come back at their free time makes means that they only do it if they actually really are invested in it and they feel the need for the change we'll then go through things like you know how i expect them to work on tasks when i'm explaining things uh, the sorts of activities that they will see and how i expect them to work on it how I, for example with the starters or do nows that we have in the school that they need to be coming in and working on those straight away they'll always be up on the board and they're there to be done in silence and we spend some time in the lesson practicing each of those elements to get them actually doing something so they're not just listening to me for an hour uh, so they'll practice doing a starter in silence for five minutes they'll practice uh, working on a discussion question etc etc to get them into the habit and the routine of what happens when those sorts of activities are what we're working on at that part of the lesson uh, one of the things I do differently with my year 11 classes which was inspired by something the great Bruno Reddy put me onto, is I will print up their mock exam grades as a sort of result statement or result certificate uh, for GCSE to, to appear similar to what they'll get at GCSE results day but I increase each grade by one uh, and then I get them sit with their eyes closed head on the desk and I tell them this story 
uh, asking them to visualize, you know, what happens when they first wake up, how are they feeling, taking them right through the day, you know, uh, what are they having for breakfast, how are they getting to school, are they walking with friends, etc., getting them to visualize, entering the hall, seeing all those other people there, queuing up to receive their envelope, taking their envelope and then you know taking it away and it reaches the the climax when i get them to uh imagine opening the envelope and pulling out the piece of paper and seeing the grades and while they've been doing that with them while i've been telling the story i walk around and i put their fake result statement on the desk and so when they open their eyes they've got the result statement right there and then i ask them to focus on you know how would they feel if those results are what they end up with in the summer and then I tell them how I've done it you know that I've increased all their mock grades by one and say you know if you're going to be happy with those well then that's what you'll go on and get provided you keep working hard through this year this is what you're on track to achieve whereas if you're not happy with them perhaps you've got to start putting a bit extra now because they've only got the year to go and I get quite high motivation out of that you know I've had stories come back from parents and students about them taking that grade list home and showing it to parents and carrying it around with them as a sort of yes you know this is what I want this is what I can achieve this year sort of thing so that's quite successful but I tend to only do that with my year 11 classes rather than the whole school anyway my big advice for starting off the year with a new class or with any classes is get those expectations laid down starting with a seating plan right from the off making it clear that you're in charge of your classroom and then get all of the other stuff out the way make sure they're clear on routines so that then the rest of the year can be spent on learning and impactful work i mean obviously you have to revisit those routines over the year but rather than bedding them in over two to three lessons as they come up, getting them out the way early and getting them clear in students' heads from the beginning, I find has greater impact. Hope it helps and hope to speak to you again. Bye-bye. Hi, my name's Richard Top. I'm at TikTok Maps on Twitter. Um, I have changed the way that I do first lessons quite significantly over the years. The first one or two years of teaching, I started my first lessons with most classes with getting to know your games. So a very common example of this is maybe where students would have to say a piece of information about themselves, and then the next student would have to say a piece of information about themselves and repeat the information from the previous student, and so on. Um, and I've stopped doing that completely, and in, stop, in fact, stopped doing that pretty quickly. And the reason is twofold, really. The first reason is that I don't teach maths through getting to know your games. So that first impression that students had of me was very much a false one. Students saw an activity that genuinely wasn't replicated. So when it came to my second and third lessons, which looked very different from the first lesson, Students had this kind of whiplash effect. They wondered, well, what's going on here? They didn't quite know what to expect. The second reason is that it didn't, really didn't help me get to know anyone else, and it didn't help students get to know anyone either. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, firstly, unless you've got a Year 7 class, most students kind of know who each other are anyway. And if they don't, they can find other ways to get to know each other. But also, there's so much information in those sessions, if you're saying something about yourself, um, that actually it's overwhelming. And it's impossible to store that information, well not impossible, it's difficult to store that information in, in your head. 
and so it will just kind of overload students and to be honest myself and all that information will just vanish so I don't think it's a or I haven't found it in my experience to be a particularly worthwhile thing to do I found a better way to get to know students is through just having a seating plan so I always have a seating plan in my first lesson don't know where to sit and then over time I can learn their names and over time I can learn about them and they can learn about me relationships I think are more rewarding when they're revealed over time and I don't think you can rush a relation, you know, forming relationships and pack forming relationships into one lesson I think that's a mistake I think relationships are built on and are maintained and through the actions that you do every single day and the actions that the pupils do every single day, the little talks that you have, you know, at the beginning and the end of the lessons. I don't think you can compromise on that and just put it all into one lesson at the beginning. Um, I also make sure these days that I'm upfront with my behavioural expectations and in my first lesson that I enforce those behavioural expectations. In the past, I've not done that. My first couple of years of teaching, I very much thought, well, it's the first lesson, I'll be easy on them. But that's a mistake, I think. In your first lesson, I think it's the most important that you're strong on your expectations, um, praising students who do the thing that you expect them to do, making sure you're giving out um, things like merit points, and also either sanctioning or intervening in behaviour you don't want to see. Because those first impressions, I think, students will carry on with them for a while. And so, if you think, oh, it's the first lesson, I tell you what, I'll, I'll ease up on them a little bit, I won't jump in because it's Johnny's first lesson and he shouted out when he shouldn't. When actually, well, Johnny immediately thinks that he can do that in future. And so, when the second lesson, when you decide to um, sanction that behaviour, he's going to think you're unfair or that you're not consistent. So, I think it's important that first lesson your behaviour management is the same as it would be in any other lesson. And the other thing I've started doing recently um, is just jumping straight into the maths because I think the maths is the most interesting part of my lesson. It's, it's the most interesting thing that's going to happen in my classroom. I love the maths, I make sure I'm enthusiastic about the maths, but I want that to be the focus. I usually start with something I do often as well. So I'll start with something like an example problem pair. And if I start with that, and students maybe see that in the first lesson and second lesson, then we start to set up routines of what students can expect. Um, I don't think, though, that it's just about uh, things like an example problem pair or something. Um, very diet's important. So I also like to chuck in something like a Don Stewart task or a bit of problem solving towards the end of the lesson. But I'm certainly not going to repeat the mistakes that I made before of making my first lesson look too different from the rest of the lessons that I'm going to teach. Hi, I'm Rob McPherson. I'm an assistant rector at Dollar Academy in Scotland and a history teacher. And I'm on Twitter as at Robin underscore McP. Um, and it's a great pleasure to be back on Craig's podcast. It's a show I really enjoy. So very happy to be asked to contribute to this. 
So for first lessons of the year, um, I always try and start out with setting some standards, establishing rules and routines. Whatever is important in your classroom, make sure that that's clearly communicated to start the year. Uh, never too early to start establishing good habits and let them know exactly what you expect of them. So you can get a few things like that out of the way. I try not to labour that too much because that's kind of dull for an entire lesson. But one thing I do really emphasise is that I really cannot stand bullying and I don't expect anyone to do anything that is bullying in my classroom. So make that message really plain and clear to them and point out that coming into school, nobody should feel afraid or fearful of what might happen to them. And if anything happens in my classroom that I construe to be bullying, then uh, woe betide anyone who is doing that. So just get that across to them. And then once you've got that out of the way, then I like a little exercise that I pinched from Carl Hendrick, but it starts with a bit of metacognition. Really, really simple. It works for all age groups. You simply write, I learn best when and then you get them to finish the sentence. So get them to write something down. Some of them might write two or three words on that. Um, some might knock out a whole paragraph. Uh, what you can either do with it is lead a little bit of a Q&A on it and give them some feedback as to what works well and what doesn't. So think all things Dunlosky with this. Um, or what I tend to do is take all the all those in, all those answers in, collate them, and the next lesson actually go through them and tell them whether they're on the right lines or not. Because, of course, sometimes children don't realise what, um, what habits lead to good learning. So you can give them a bit of a steer on that. And it's a good thing to come back to. So it's a point of reference. So quite useful thing for the rest of the year. Then once we've done that, I give them an overview of what we're going to learn this year. Um, and in doing so, giving that broad overview, set up some sort of an activity that allows you to question them on their general knowledge, just to find out what schema they have. Um, and in doing so, I think the, the main thing here is just to try and get them excited about what it is they're going to be doing in your classroom for the rest of the year. So whatever that topic is, try and light a bit of a spark. Uh, make them think, challenge them with high level questions, get them to sweat a little bit intellectually. Um, and what they should do is kind of go out of your classroom thinking, yeah, that was good. I'm looking forward to the next lesson. I want to come back to that um, and feel sort of empowered by just a little bit of knowledge that you've imparted to them and give them a sense of, of where they're going to be come the end. I don't think when you're thinking about your, your scheme of work for the year, it's not like taking a train from destination A to destination B. It's a little bit more like the westward expansion. It's this kind of epic adventure that you're not quite sure exactly what route you're going to take, but you've got a general sense of where you want to go and, and what the, the end mission is. Um, so if they, they have that kind of light in them that they want to come back and they're really excited about what they're going to learn with you, then that's great. I think I draw a distinction between fun lesson and exciting lessons and that you know the, the challenge of learning something really difficult excites them and gets them going and that's where the inspiration comes from so if there's just something there that makes them want to come back then you've had a good first lesson so i wish you all very well with your year i hope it all goes well and i hope some of that's been useful for you hello my name's Simon Cox, I'm a mathematics teacher and director of Blackpool Research School and on Twitter I am at MathsMrCox. Uh, for my first lesson with a new class that I've never met before, I'll be focusing very much on routines. I will have a sprinkling of math thrown in there as well, it is what we're there for after all, but I have to say I'm not too concerned with how much mathematical learning actually takes place during that first lesson. Um, I don't do any icebreakers or anything like that, but I do make sure that I introduce the pupils to what they can expect in my class. So we'll have a do now task, which will be completed in silence. Um, I'll demonstrate how example problem pairs work and be really explicit about how I expect them to approach these. We'll set out some work in the way I expect it to be done in their books all year. 
We'll also introduce Hegarty Maths and demonstrate a task, how I expect them to go about completing it and my expectations for homework throughout the year as well. Um, I also do some explanation of why I'll be teaching them in the way that I will. I think it's really important for people to know some of the cognitive science behind my approach and find that they're really keen to know this, obviously in a pupil-friendly way. Uh, and I found the Wellington study guide that was shared on Twitter by Carl Hendrick and illustrated by Oliver Caviglioli uh, to be really useful for that. Uh, if I was to say a single piece of advice for someone planning the first lesson, perhaps a, a newly qualified teacher, for example, it would be to have a seating plan ready prior to lesson one and absolutely stick to it rigidly. Don't spend too much time on it. Alphabetical and boy-girl is, is just the, the, the system that I use where possible and, and that seems to work pretty well. Uh, my school provides SEND and medical information on the first inset day. So, you know, if anyone needs to sit at the front, at the back, by the window, anything like that, um, I know about that already and I've already taken that into consideration. And I basically reject all requests from any other pupils to move to a different seat. Experience tells me if I let anyone move during that first lesson, I'm immediately showing sort of favouritism, inconsistency. It makes it difficult to say no to other requests. Uh, so my single piece of advice would be write your seating plans and stick to them. Hello, my name's Tom Franken. I work in mathematics education at the University of Birmingham and on Twitter I'm at T Franken. First lessons are an interesting topic for me to talk about as now it's the subject of my last lesson of the year. This is because much of my current work is with beginning teachers but wherever you are in your career I think it's worth reflecting on what type of teacher you want to be this year as the first lesson of the year is a chance for a fresh start. The fresh start effect seems an important one in teaching and it helps to be aware that this applies not just to new classes but to old ones too. And you also get a smaller but still significant effect at the start of each term or half term and even each new week or day. It's worth keeping this in mind whenever you have a disastrous lesson. The next lesson is always a fresh start. However, the first lesson of the year is a time when you can think about how you want to begin with a group to make the most of this fresh start and maximise the chances of spending a productive year working together. It's worth reflecting on whether you'll focus on the children, the maths, the way of working, or a combination of these. Whether you want to teach the rules of your classroom, whether they'll be explained or negotiated, and whether you'll try and address everything from the start, a small subset of key behaviours will deal with things as they come up. Whatever your preference, it's worth thinking about this in advance, as it seems likely that good discipline benefits from being taught as well as caught. I'm going to focus on a year 7 group as this is probably where the biggest fresh start is. I'm going to skip past the detail of teaching them how to come in, getting into the seating plan and talking about rules as I su suspect others will cover this. And I think the teaching of what to do and how to do it goes well beyond just the first lesson and needs to be practiced with gradually fading support like any other thing you teach though I want everyone to follow directions and would talk about long-term goals of becoming self-disciplined and becoming a mathematician. What's important in your classroom is what you make important. We need to support all learners in asking questions, making conjectures, being organised and systematic, looking for patterns, noticing and explaining and justifying their ideas. People often say that teaching is all about relationships I think that includes both the relationships between the people involved and relationships to the maths. So I want to work on both of these aspects. 
The first step to, for me is to learn everyone's names, but also to set up a way of working. In the first lesson, I usually play the name game. It runs something like this. I say, I'm Mr. Frankham, then point to the first person. They're not always sure what to do, so I say, you say, that's Mr. Frankham and I'm... And you go around the class like this. That's Mr. Frankham and I'm Alan. That's Mr. Frankham, that's Alan and I'm Betty. That's Mr. Frankham, that's Alan, that's Betty and I'm Channey. So everyone has to remember one more name each time until you have everyone. You can bring in some expectations about looking at the person who's speaking and... It makes playing easier because you want to associate the names with the people. Then when we get all the way around, I do everyone's name and see if anyone else feels brave and wants to try. As with many things, I think you learn the names quicker by testing yourself rather than going back to look at your seating plan. And using pupils' names is the first step to building relationships with them. But I also want to set up a way of working and get going on some maths. So I ask a question. How many names did we say? How many names was that? There are lots of ways to start on this. And because I've done it a lot, I can know what to look out for in terms of good questions, good representations, helpful mistakes I can make use of, and also ways to support or challenge. You don't necessarily need new tasks. You might gain more from making your old tasks better. A big part of this for me is about deciding beforehand what I want to value in my lessons. I'll look out for opportunities to meta-comment. Here's a good example of someone being a mathematician. They're being organised or systematic or making a conjecture or testing an idea. I think it's worth thinking about what success will look like in your lessons. We know success is motivating, so if there are more ways of being successful, more people can be successful. Teaching is effective when teachers are clear about their purposes. So, in summary... I would think carefully about your purposes and make the most of the fresh start effect, remembering that you and they can get a fresh start in any lesson if you need it, and not just the first. I hope that's useful. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name's Tom Sherrington and you might know me as Teacherhead on Twitter and my blog teacherhead.com. So for this uh, episode of Slice of Advice, we're talking about what your first lesson should be like. And I think I would characterise that by talking about the idea that you're trying to set out your stall. The first lesson is all about setting your expectations and making sure that all your students understand that you've got really high expectations and you're on a a big journey together where the, the, the year ahead is going to be sort of characterized by a sense of drive and real purpose. So that's going to include things like your basic expectations for how the class is organized, you know, how they come into the room, expectations around listening to each other. Uh, it could include details about, you know, setting out their work and all sorts of things like that. that really clear that this is what we mean and I want you to do it really properly, thoroughly. When I say I want you to do it, I really mean you and I really mean everybody. So that kind of routines are, are important. But probably the biggest thing you're trying to do is trying to say, this is what we're here to learn and, and we've got really high expectations for what we're all going to achieve. And you set out the big picture for the, for the subject, which could be kind of an overview of, of the syllabus of a GCSE course or looking at, you know, in year seven, this is what we're going to cover. 
and, and get the students engaged with the, the, the broad scope of, of what lies ahead. And then finally, to kind of really exemplify that, you're going to say, let's really get into it quick now. We're not, we're not waiting. We're not having some easy intro. You're going to hit the ground running and you're going to say, right, this first lesson, we're really going to get into something and show them something about the subject, which is going to kind of make them think, yeah, well, I really want to turn up again tomorrow and go home buzzing about, about the first lesson. So choose a, a really interesting maths problem, which maybe is sets the scene for the kind of the study ahead or a, or a poem in English, which is gets them thinking and talking or some concept in science or geography or anything, which whatever subject you're doing, something which says, this is what we're about. This is why we're here. This is what the purpose of, of learning is and gets them interested. And the final thing is to say, set them some homework. I always think a first lesson is a really great time to set homework because you're saying, right, right from day one, I expect you to become a student and to pursue some learning. So it could be something to practice something that you've introduced or to do some activity which consolidates what they've learned or prepares them for the following lesson so that they, right from the beginning, get the idea that, wow, you know, learning starts in the lessons, but it carries on in between. And that's partly my responsibility. So all of those things are about setting your expectations really high, really clear, and, and generating the sense of that we all mean business about about why we're here and what we're going to learn. Hello, my name's Craig Barton, and as well as being a maths teacher and the director of education at ED, amongst other things, I'm also the host of the Mr. Barton Maths podcast and the author of How I Wish I'd Taught Maths, both of which have been known to send newborn babies and my wife to sleep pretty instantly. Now, first lessons with a class. Well, it'll be no surprise to any of you who've read my book or listened to these podcasts or heard me talk in the last 18 months or so that like just about everything else in my career, I've completely changed my mind over what my first lessons with a class should look like. So what did they used to look like? Well, once you get over the necessary admin of handing out books, seating plans, a bit of chat about expectations and so on, then I wanted to dive into mathematics as soon as possible. But the mathematics I wanted to dive into usually consisted of some kind of rich activity or an inquiry or an investigation or some kind of enriched problem solving activity. Now, before it all starts kicking off, as I hope I made clear in my book, and I try to make clear every time I bring up this point, I am by no means against these kind of activities. In fact, quite the opposite. I flipping love them. And after all, these were the kind of activities and tasks and puzzles that got me into maths and make me absolutely adore the subject. And indeed, I see it as my mission to try and help as many students feel as passionately as I do about maths. But kind of counterintuitively, that means I kind of hold back these kind of activities from students as long as possible. The reason being, I now believe that for students to enjoy them, feel success in them, get confidence from them, succeed in them and so on, students need to be fluent in all the basic mathematical components that comprise that particular activity. So instead, where I might start on a rich activity involving ratio or factors, perhaps factors and multiples game or something like that, 
I'm now less willing to do that because it tended to be the kids who were already confident at, at those particular skills would be flying and absolutely love it. The kids who weren't so confident and hadn't had a chance to practice and so on, they'd really struggle because I was asking them to practice the basic skills whilst at the same time understand the complexities of the game or plot a path to the solution of the problem or filter through redundant information if it was a mystery or so on and so forth. And I think that was too much. So what I prefer to do now is move those activities later along towards the end of a topic unit when I believe more students can achieve more success and get more out of them. But that, that's just my opinion anyway. So what on earth do I do now in my first lesson? Well, it consists of two things. So firstly, let's, let's just put to one side all the flipping crap that we need to do about handing out books, sticking things in books, behavior policies, all that kind of thing. Let, let's just take that as a given that different schools will have different policies over what actually needs to be done, giving out targets, all that kind of thing. Now let's move to when we as teachers have control over what happens. And um, the first thing I do, and this is completely new for me, is actually teach kids a little bit of cognitive science. And I don't go into the depths of it or anything like that because I'm not sure I know the depths of it myself, but I wanna give kids an overview. So I tell them about working memory and in particular, the limits of working memory. And I do this just by using a diagram, just showing the uh, box for memory and showing how quick it can get filled up. And the reason I do this is because this is going to become a recurring theme throughout the year. And I want to say to students that every time their, their mind drifts off to thinking about something that isn't about what's going on in the lesson or what I'm saying or what another student's saying or what's in the work that's in front of them, it's filling up their fragile working memory. And their working memory can only hold so much. And if they start to fill it up with rubbish or unrelated stuff, then it's going to really harm their chance of learning and succeeding. So I introduce them to the concept of working memory. I also introduce them to the concept of desirable difficulties. I think this is really, really, really important because we all know that things like reading notes, highlighting things, feels comfortable, feels familiar, but doesn't contribute to learning as much as testing does. Testing feels hard, testing feels difficult. And because low stakes quizzes are gonna be a key part of the year that I've, kids are gonna be doing them at least three times a week, I want to tell kids why I'm doing it because then whenever they're struggling and their marks aren't as good as they hoped they would be, I want them to know why. I want them to know that the difficulty, the strain that they're feeling is good. It's good that it's difficult. This is all contributing to strengthening their memory and so on. So I explain to them about the importance of testing as a desirable difficulty. And I also explain to them the importance of spacing, spacing things out. And again, there's two, there's two reasons for that really. One, that's gonna be a regular part of, of the year, both through low stakes quizzes, through homeworks and stuff. I'm not gonna be doing things in chunks and blocks anymore. And um, kids are gonna be gonna need to get used to trying to remember things from three days ago, three weeks ago, three months ago, a year ago, and so on. But also, I want them, just uh, uh, with test, uh, just the same as with testing, I want them to get used to using this in their own independent study. So when they come to revise, I want them self-quizzing. I don't want them doing just all fractions for a night. I want them spacing things out, spreading that fractions work out over three weeks and, and interleaving other stuff in there. So I want them to get used to this language. So just for five or 10 minutes, I'll just do a little bit of talk about that just to set the tone. And then I dive into the maths. But the maths for me is, is different. I, I don't want to dive straight into the open-ended stuff. But at the same time, I'm very aware that if I, I open up with something potentially dull, 
it may put kids off. It may may not get them off on the on the right footing. So I want them to know that maths is going to be interesting and exciting. And the other thing I need is, particularly if I've got year sevens or year eights, but this goes through to tens, elevens, uh, tens and elevens as well, even flipping twelves and thirteens sometimes. I need to make sure their arithmetic sorted. And I know they've done it at primary school, but I also know that they've probably forgotten a lot of it over summer. And if I just assume things are, are in place and, and fluent and automated and so on, and, and dive into some task that makes that assumption, then it could all come unstuck. So I want them practicing the four operations. But I know if I just give them a sheet of, of a multiplication, subtraction, and division sums, it could all be kicking off. So I turn to my all-time favorite activity for this. Big Donny Stewart on his Median Maths website. It's a classic, this is from the 7th of December, 2011. I'm gonna put a link to this in the show notes along with a link to all the other stuff people have mentioned. And it's called Basic Number Tasks. And that sounds a bit flipping dull, but it is just like all Don's stuff, there's twists and turns in there. There's a purpose to everything. So what Basic Number Tasks consists of is it's eight sheets, two on addition, two on subtraction, two on multiplication, and two on division. The first um, sheet in each is some uh, kind of fairly standard practice, but there's always something a little bit going on. It's almost um, intelligently varied with um, addition sums where one thing changes and the answer turns out to be slightly different or the same or so on. So there's a bit of purpose to it, but it's actually the second sheet of each um, set of activities that I like. So you've got addition tasks, subtraction tasks, multiplication tasks, and division tasks. And what these consist of are three activities that I believe would fit in the mold of what I describe as purposeful practice. So if we take, for example, I've just got one fired up here, the uh, subtraction task. One of the subtractions task is called four digits. And it says use four consecutive digits in any order in a subtraction sum. How many possible answers are there? Establish that there are 12 positive answers and find the results. Uh, Prove that the smallest result will always be seven and the largest result is always 31. Now, how flipping good is that? Because if kids are working on that for 20 minutes, they're practicing their written subtraction. So they're getting that purposeful practice, but they're also having the higher purpose of thinking about these combinations, thinking about generalization, bit of proof comes into there. How can you convince somebody, not with algebra or anything, but how can you convince somebody that you'll never get lower than seven and you'll never get more than 31? So I just love that. It's the purposeful practice that I'm obsessed with. And it's just sat there. There's three of them for subtraction, three for addition, three for multiplication, and three for division. And for me, that's not just the first lesson. That's the first kind of three lessons, or even maybe four lessons, because we're doing all the basic arithmetic, but we're also start to talk about generalization, and we can start to talk about mathematical discussion. We can get kids working together. We can get those discussions going, and we can do it in a way that then allows me to, to kind of get across the expectations for how we communicate in this class and so on and so forth. But there's a bit more structure to it than there would be in a more kind of open-ended investigation or inquiry or rich task. So I think they are absolutely wonderful and they're my favorite first lesson tasks. Anyway, that just about brings us to the end of this podcast. I really hope you enjoy these slice of advice ones. I flipping love them because I just love hearing little snippets from from just so many experts and just just learning so much. I I hope you enjoy them too. I hope to revisit slice of advices uh, throughout the year. And indeed, if you've got a question you want me to pose to people, just drop me a message on Twitter or an email and I'll I'll think about it and try and build that in. 
but I'm also going to return to the standard podcast, the long form interviews, the conference takeaways, and I'm going to launch the Mr. Barton Maths Book Club. So plenty to look forward to in this new year. So all that remains for me to do is to thank three sets of people. Firstly, podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music that you've heard throughout the show. A massive thank you to all the wonderful people who gave up their time to contribute to this Slice of Advice episode. Uh, It means so much to me that they do that. And a big, big thank you to you, my loyal listeners, for keeping listening and downloading these episodes. I really hope you're enjoying them and finding them as useful as I did. And if you're listening to this at the start of another academic year, then flip an egg. I hope it's a good one. I've got a good feeling about this year. I hope you have too. And I will return with some amazing guests in the near future. In the meantime, you take care of yourselves and bye for now.